a British art student, yeah. you know. I've been doing that for four years, and when I left, I had to get a job, really, so I just like looked around and found that job and lied. I said, well, you know, I've had my fun, it's time to settle down now, you know, because I was 22. They wanted a career man in the, in the lemonade factory. Yeah, they did, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was quite well paid, so, like... You know, they say, well, you're just the sort of candidate we're looking for. And I thought, fuck me, I'm getting good at this. Should have gone into acting. So, um, yeah, I learned how to do it. It was really boring. Um, you know, you had to check, check it for the amount of carbon dioxide they got in it, the amount of sugar it was in it, like, you know, pH levels and shit like that. And, and then you had to cut notches in the sides of the of the, the labels with a special notch cutting machine because this was pre-barcode. You had to like mark the batch numbers. I never knew how to do that. I just used to sort of like move the machine about a bit for each one. Were, were one. you ever were you ever able to drink that lemonade again? I mean, once you've once you've seen it being made. No, I really had no interest in it. I used to get drunk at lunchtime. The only way I could deal with it, I used to go to the pub at lunchtime and get completely slaughtered. It was costing me more to do that than I was earning in the end, so I gave it up. And I used to autograph it, autograph the labels. I put best wishes, the quality control inspector. And then I'd go across the road at night to the local off-licence to buy some booze and like I'd see my bottles all lined up with my autograph on them. It sounded like it's, I mean I I read the book I read the book when it came out so it's been oh, I think right, what, yeah. about ten years since yeah, the book came out yes yeah. but uh, if I remember correctly it, it it seemed like you almost kind of fell into a music career is that safe to say no I didn't fall into it I mean I I didn't you know I mean like I fell into it in ways but I mean like I had decided most definitely that was what I was gonna do you yeah. know. I pretty well decided that at the age of nine, and I never changed my mind. I mean, you know, I should have grown out of the idea, but I never did. And um, I went to art school, and, like, that was great. And, like, you know, I'm I'm a painter now. I I paint. I still do visual art. But I, I... I like, you know, when I was at art school, like music took over. I started playing in bands, and by the time I left art school, it was obvious. Yeah. And everyone said, "Well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't stick around here," because that was up in the northeast of England. And like, I, I had a girlfriend who was very kind of ambitious and wanted to get out of where she was living. So we packed up and came down to London and shacked up in South London, and and. When I saw Stiff Records, I was just like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'll go to them and see if I can... I don't know. I mean, I had to do something. I thought the streets of London were paved with musicians, <laughs> but they they weren't. Well, they were just not successful musicians? Well, or? I wasn't finding them. I didn't yeah. know how to meet other musicians, really. I mean, I, I, you know, God knows how I've managed to get through life because I'm socially dysfunctional. This I mean, is, much less now. I can, yeah. I can almost, I've almost learned how to chat girls up now, you know. 
now that you, now that you've been married no, for a while. That, yeah, now that I'm married and I'm sixty, you know, I reckon I could. I reckon if push come to shove, I could I could chat a girl up almost quite successfully. The, the, the rock and roll didn't do that for you. It didn't uh, it must have opened a few of those doors. No, not really. Um, you know, I mean, like obviously, I have seen some action. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw? I mean, you saw stiff. You what? Uh, I mean, it well, sounds. It sounds. You you, you, you you arrived in London. Yeah, I mean, all that. It's kind of like. Yeah, I mean, normal kind of thing, you know, like, I mean, it was all kind of ramshackle and, like, you know, I made a record and I suppose one record led to another and, like, you know, as things go on, you realise that some people are okay and some people aren't and, like, you know, so it goes on. And what I know is that, like, there's no kind of big time, you know, it's like... Being in a music business, it's like surfing. Hmm. It's like you've got to catch the wave, you know, and sometimes there won't be a wave, and other times there's small waves, and then there's a big wave, and sometimes you manage to ride it successfully, and other times you fall into it somehow, I suppose. Not that I've ever been surfing, but I've seen it on the telly. (laughs) You're aware of surfing? (laughs) Yeah. You you were... I don't want to say I don't know if lucky is the right word, but you know you were fortunate in that. Really, in a sense, you caught that big wave right off the bat, right? Yeah, it was kind of too much too soon. I mean, I went from playing in sort of like little barroom type gigs, you know, and um, art school dances and kind of, you know, yeah. I mean, like I play in these small rooms really but they were yeah. full of people but I mean we only ever had a vocal PA and crappy amplifiers and whatever to suddenly like playing to a thousand people mm. a night you know and it was kind of like a bit of a stretch so I had to learn in public really and by the time I mean that's the sad thing about the music business how it used to be is that like by the time you'd learn how to do it you were over the hill and they didn't want you anymore Hmm. there's an awful lot of people who can't get a gig that could play the arse off some people who are just starting out don't know their arse from their elbow you know and um, maybe it's changed a lot now I mean I'm very lucky how it is now because I'm able to go out and play and I think I kind of know what I'm doing now you know like <laughs> after 40 years <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's a very yeah. long time that I've been playing music it's it's more about vibrating wood and metal vibrating wood and metal and electricity is what makes it all happen and that's a fucking very ramshackle com- combination yep. and as soon as you get those blowhards that say oh you need these pickups you need this this amplifier's hand wired yeah yeah I'm fine yeah you know and it's all boutique amplifiers and special shit you know it's beside the fucking point in the end hmm. it's funny that you say that because you know I I got to watch a little bit of your sound check, and it was certainly one of the more entertaining sound checks that I've seen in some time. Um, well, 
you know, you 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 started with the amp. You, you kind of you, you kind of slammed it down on the stage a few times. I had to, yeah. It's got a loose connection that I can't actually get to. I mean, there just isn't time. But by banging the amp, I can get this thing to stay back into place. Yeah. It's the best I can do at short notice. And if it works, great. If it don't work, I do without it. You know, yeah. it's, it's just a reverb unit that's... It's got some kind of loose, but I've got to take the amplifier apart to get to it, and I haven't had time. So the best thing you can do is bang the amp and get it. Hopefully it will jerk itself back. It keeps going out in transit in the car, you know, being transported. Um, yeah, but anyway, I've got that. I think it's working. It might work. Yeah. If it don't, I might have to pick the amp up and drop it, and it will work. It's like the uh, the Fonzie approach. When I was a, when I was young, you know, there were all these old blokes that used to mend amplifiers. And they were these guys, you know, I mean, they'd been in the fucking RAF during the war and that, and come out and go, well, I didn't really know what to do, so I got the skills and, uh, you know, I learned to let go. I started building amplifiers for these chaps that were uh, forming a beat combo and... Those blokes were brilliant, you know. The ones that stuck at it, like Charlie Watkin, there was another guy called Bill Dunn. Their first line of attack, they say, look, if you haven't got any time to do anything more, you're a bit of whack. You know, check all the tubes are sort of in okay, and then give the thing a bang, and if it sort of goes back in, you know you've got a sort of like a a dry joint or a cracked circuit board but it's always the first line of attack with these things it won't be with computers you can't do that with a computer that's you know it's a different technology but this stuff is all it's all hardware it's just it's big chunks of stuff that are joined to other big chunks of stuff you know so yeah so I, I had to bang the amp a bit, but um, yeah, the rest of it is just get a few levels, make sure everything's in the right place. The sound man needs to get a few levels, and you work out a few things with you know EQs, feedback, stuff like that. But you know, you sort of went through instrument by what? What is the newest? piece of instrument that you had on the stage the newest piece yeah well because you know it's it, it, it looks it looks and sounds as though everything has been around for a while yes um the the i built a thing to electrify a harmonica mm. That sounded great, by the way. Yeah, I didn't realize you had built that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, but I I did it. I bastardized some. I bastardized uh, an old talk box, a Dan Electro talk box, the and some Peter other Frampton. Stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of them kind of things. Um, it's part of one of them and like an echo unit and uh, some microphones and uh, I made a chamber that's fixed onto the front of a of a of a rack and uh, put the microphones into that and uh, that's what it is basically and it 
Were, were, were you always handy, or did that sort of come out of necessity of having to fix the instruments? My dad was an engineer. I come from a family of engineers. Yeah. We're, we're just good at it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I learnt more as I went along, but, I mean, I like making things. I like doing stuff. Um, you know, there's some things I prefer to get someone in to do. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll do, you know, I done a lot of rewiring on my house most houses I've lived in I had to do the rewiring myself I can do it I have to get it I'm not a qualified electrician I've always had to get it checked out by a qualified electrician but it's always been passed with no problem he was going you're great you've done it completely right and I'm thinking great you know (laughs) I don't know I mean it's most of this stuff's common sense really if you want to do it some people can do it some people go to pieces yeah with it but I mean like you know when I do I do audio engineering I engineer records you know I didn't know what I was doing at the start and I quite like that as a standpoint you know were you were you doing the, the engineering the early stuff or that that wasn't uh, that wasn't no. like Nick on those no, Nick never engineered anything. Nick was the producer, so, I mean, basically, he was looking after the music aspects yeah. of it, and there was a guy engineering it. And, um, no, when I stopped with all that with Stiff Records, I mean, the worst thing, I think, was making a record in the Pink Floyd studio, and like it was like the carpet was, like, ankle-deep, you know, yeah. and... And uh, they had everything that you could ever want in the world. Like, they had four Mellotrons and, you know, six Les Paul Juniors and four drum kits and a vibraphone, the one on the Amagama album. Um, you know, and every different keyboard and every fucking piece of equipment and an SSL desk. On like you know, so we recorded the tracks, came in and listened to them, and they sounded like nothing. They just didn't sound exciting. The early stuff was done in Pathway Studio, and like that, the the engineer had built everything in there. And you just play the stuff. You come in the control room, it sounded better. It sounded yeah. better than it did when you were out there playing it. I mean, it always sounded rubbish in the room, but. Well, you were, um, you know, you, you had you had the acoustic guitar out, and you know, you made some comment about how the sound hole was kind of an offsize, so you yeah, well, I can't get, couldn't get a screen know, on that. But. I can't get a feedback buster, you know. Yeah. I mean, as a microphone, so it's been a bit tricky that you know. But you know, I'm wondering what you know, and you and, and you you had said something along the lines of you know, I should get a. I should get it, you know, a new guitar. But what, you know, what is it? What is it that that's kept these specific instruments around for so long? Just they, you just um, got the sound you want down. No, I'm always looking. I'm always looking. I'm always looking at new new ideas, like old ideas, new ideas, changing something. Um, I used an acoustic guitar for years that was just a. A Yamaha, it was the yeah. top of the range Yamaha, and the, the electrics were really good, but the guitar was falling a bit, so I took all the electrics out of it and put them into a into a new, cheap, small 
acoustic guitar. I like small body guitars. They electrify better for me. And I look for a certain sound, and it's very hard to to get that sound, but I I work with it, you know. Um, And I'm always trying to, you know, find something else. Like, you know, down in Asbury Park, I found this small company, like this one guy that builds amplifiers. And um, I'm looking into that to see if I can find a a smaller, more powerful amplifier, something that will... There are small amplifiers that are very powerful, but they don't do what I want. I want this displacement of sound. So... You're, 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 the amplifier you have right now isn't isn't an especially large one. It's an AC15. It's just a box AC15. Yeah. You use anything. I mean, like you know, like the amplifiers are generally slightly underpowered for what I'm doing. Yeah. But it's kind of to the good sometimes. When I play with a band, I use something a lot bigger than that, like maybe a 50 watt amplifier. Um. I use a 50 watt, a 40 watt trainer, um, trainer reverb amplifier, which I use for guitar and for bass when I play bass. I sometimes play bass. And, um, you know, it seems to be loud enough for just about everything and big enough and has the sound somehow. So the, the, the tour that you're doing, I guess that you're concluding tonight was for a reissue of of two records yeah I mean like kind of loosely yeah (laughs) because like you know I had I had the Lembright combo albums that um, they came out in December and then I had the beat group the beat group Electric got re-released in in, uh, April and then a couple of weeks later, the Donovan of Trash came out, and like, I'm just so pleased that those albums have come out because no one liked them. So now everyone likes them. I can go out and play the songs from them, and people sort of seem to know what I'm doing. And um, so I'm, you know, I just keep doing it. I mean, like, this is part of what I do. I, I'm. I don't know. It's a direct line. Maybe it's a direct line from, you know, know, Fred McDowell or someone, or Hank Williams. These people, you know, or Eddie Cochran or anybody, or right through these there's always been people, you know, Peter Case or something. I'm just, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out how we're getting from Mississippi Fred McDowell to you. What, what is, what is the through line? Just it's, they can be anybody. I mean, mm. they could be fucking Lonnie Donegan if you yeah. like, but they're just people who basically went and played. Yeah. And I think it's very important to go out and play. I just feel like, you know, it. it it kind of brings it all together. I mean, making records, I love making records, but, you know, kind of a... People who just stayed at home and made records and never went out, there's something always, like, a little bit dry about it all. 
Is that? I mean, but but that sense of just going out and playing is that. Um, that's that's whether or not people are necessarily going to be there that night. It's just making sure you're you're out there. Well, no, that would be stupid <laughs> because, like, you know, I mean, there's no point because what you're doing is communicating. The yeah. whole business of it of it is communication. Communication. It's like, in some way, you know, if you're a writer, if you write books, it's kind of communication. Mm-hmm. No, not writers, and not, I think they get quite frustrated though because they don't know who's reading their books, and you know some of them like to go out and do reading tours, and they feel that they're doing something, but it's not quite the same. But with mu- you know, painting is like that. You know, you don't know who's looking at yeah. the who's looking at the paintings. I mean, you get a fair idea who's buying the paintings, but if you're doing really well at painting, you. Or art. You sell a piece of art for a lot of money to one person or one corporation. Yeah. You know, but music's kind of different. You can go out and play for some people. <laughs> so that's a good thing, I think. Um, and there have always been people who would get into a vehicle and drive a long way and get <laughs> out of it and play for those people and, yeah. and that's that's I mean maybe for, not Fred McDowell I think he would basically you know drive his tractor all day and <laughs> maybe go down to the juke joint yeah. and play but I'm trying to think but you know I mean Hank Williams is definitely you know or Jimmy Rogers or um, well yeah Hank, Hank Williams powered through a lot to play too you know yeah. he's Yes. Play so he's, pain and he's out. Yeah, and Gene Vincent is another one with the yeah. same problems. Um, but there have always been these people. I yeah. mean, you know, Kevin Kevin Coyne, if you like, you know. Do you know who he is? I don't. I- Fuck, you have to find out who Kevin Coyne, C-O-Y-N-E. Kevin Coyne is a singer-songwriter. He was one of the people... I think John Lydon said that Kevin Coyne was great, which he should should do as well. I mean, Kevin Coyne was a British kind of... Um, John Peel started the, uh, the Dandelion label for Kevin Coyne. John Peel started a label for John Peel started a record label yeah. to put out an album by Kevin Coyne. <laughs> um, I mean, he was an influence, you know. He yeah. was like, you go and see him play in the early 70s and, like, you know, study him um, as a songwriter and as a performer. He was like a pub rock guy? or no. There wasn't much pub rock, you know, that pub rock thing was all them fucking boring groups like Brinsley Schwartz and, um, oh, I don't know, they were all a bit older than us, you know, Ducks Deluxe and something, I mean, like, you know, I always get a bit edgy about this punk pub rock thing because, like, personally, you know, outside of kind of, you know, art school hipster joints... I don't have anything to do with that scene, you know. I mean, like, we did a different thing. Um, But, you know, they would would play all the sort of, you know, they'd do their home, their stuff that they'd written and then finish off with 
with Mustang Sally and Johnny yeah. B. Good, you yeah. know. But we didn't really do that kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's so, you're somebody who, who but, does does a cover from time to time, and a good song is a good song, but, right? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with doing covers. It's just that sort of like, there's something so kind of laudable and um, godly about it all, you yeah. know, that they're doing the right thing, good, proper music. And it's reactionary. It's like, it's it's almost kind of right-wing yeah. uh, <laughs> expression of music, you know. it's um, They're playing the right song the right way? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, with the right, yeah, yeah, these guys, they know how to play and yeah. they could almost be the band except nobody could be the band I yeah. mean, you know, the band from Woodstock Yeah, yeah. They, but they aspire to that yeah. you know? Well, real quick then, I, you know, because I, I wanted to ask you about these, these, these two albums that have been reissued, yeah. which I, ostensibly you're, you're touring on right now um, you know if, if you can kind of take me back to where, where you were when you were recording them uh, Eight, the, so 89 the Beat Group album I'd actually given up music because I'd had a nervous breakdown yeah. I mean I used to drink a lot I was an alcoholic I am an alcoholic but I don't drink I haven't drunk for a very very long time I mean about nearly 29 years um, so um, but the Beat Group um, I did after I came out of hospital. I was I had this breakdown. Like, I mean, I didn't do sort of like a a clinic or something like that to stop drinking. It was uh, very hard the whole business. And like I went through a lot of problems, and I just ended up in a psychiatric hospital, which. And I mean, in a way, I shouldn't have been in there, but in a way, it was it was kind of convenient. It was a good thing for me to do because it kind of punctuated the whole thing and made everyone think about it and made me think about it and gave me a breathing space. And I came out and basically rebuilt my life. And um, I was never going to play music again. Hmm. When I when I went into hospital, it was I, I I was actually convinced that I'd just brought a lot of unhappiness to everybody, and that I should never do this. And Through your music, yes, yeah. I mean, like you know, the whole thing was a problem. So when I came out of hospital, I realised that I could play music, and I wanted to, and I. I just started writing these songs and I got a little group together to do them and we did it with, you know, drums and bass and me on the guitar and it was loud and rocking away and everything. Then we went and I made these demos in my apartment and it was, they were all, you know, with the neighbours going on and everything. It was all had to be really quiet. So I did that and um, kind of liked it better. And... I'd already made a couple of albums with a band that were homemade because we didn't like studios because the 80s were really bad for recording. There was a kind of fascism crept in. It was like people would tell you what you couldn't do. And um, never liked the sound of the records, you know, and I was beginning to learn a few things. Um, So the Beat Group album, I did it on a four-track open reel machine, like a quarter-inch four-track machine uh, um, with a 
very basic mixing desk on not much and you know just place the microphones we played quiet we did it in my apartment we did one thing like that and then we did the whole album like that and the drums on it the drums was not there wasn't drums it was just the percussionist who played we had a cardboard box a small cardboard box like a really solid like came from a pharmacy Um, and it like a brown stout brown cardboard box but quite small and it had a tambourine inside it and it had a microphone inside it and I put that through something and made it and it sounded great it sounded like it was a cross between a bass drum and a snare drum and it was it was odd and he just found a way to play it you know that sound and we liked it well, it was we only did it for a demo to make a demo in you know without we couldn't bring a drum yeah. kit into my apartment so um but we liked the sound of that and we just did everything really simple you know, like with a little 15 watt guitar amplifier and uh, the bass through some homemade contraption that i'd made with bits of a record player and and the you know it was an old hofner like a beetle bass but a really old yeah. one and we just got this sound and it was so tight in and kind of rocked but it was intimate and we recorded a whole album like that I did the vocals live as well I just sang it didn't have to worry about oh is this the best take you know so you, you were doing home recording before yes was I was yes <laughs> oh yeah I mean, I was being laughed at for it. Yeah. I was laughed at. I was laughed at for that album for years, and like you know, um, uh, the record label even laughed at me. Um, but but uh, people have come around. Like now, you know, all these years later, now that it's being reissued, people people get what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. People actually like it yeah. now. You know, I mean, it's like, and then I find out. I think that I only used to meet the people, the detractors. Hmm. You know, not the people who were pro what I was doing. You seem to be in a good spot right now, and you know, and and, and I found when I've mentioned your name to people, the people who know it talk about how much they love you. So I know oh, it's remarkable. I yeah. mean, like I'm I'm very very lucky. Yeah. You know, I mean, but it has been hard one. But I mean, the one thing that I did, I stuck by what I believed in. I didn't want to do things a certain way. People would say, "You'll never be happy, and you'll never have any success until you do it the right way." But it's not the way I want to do it. And I would say, "Well, look, you know, I know I should do stuff with these people. I don't like these people, and this isn't well enough paid." at any level, to do something with people you disagree with. So I wouldn't do it, you know. Um, But I never complained about it. I'm proud of that. I didn't actually complain about all this, you know. I just go on, do it my way, you know, and then think, well, you know, I, I believe in this. One day, maybe more than a handful of people will I mean I walked away from fairly major success I just didn't like the people I didn't like what they were trying to make me do I didn't agree with it 
I walked out in the middle of recording an album. I just didn't show up. This is this is sort of, you know right after that first um, hit record. Well, after I'd done three albums, okay. there were three albums and a compilation, so four albums. So right after Stiff, Stiff Records, yeah. and then after that, I I was making another album for them, and I just. Uh, walked out. I wouldn't actually come in and put any vocals on it. I knew that without vocals on it, there wasn't even a guide vocal on it, a scratch vocal. I knew that they couldn't do anything with it. But I didn't agree with it. Hmm. I was told I couldn't write tunes. I was told I couldn't play any instruments. So I thought, like, well, you know, go get someone else then, you yeah. know, and someone else came on. They said, just write anything, any lyrics, it don't matter what it's about, because no one understands what you're on about anyway. So I thought, these people are just despicable, and I have no interest in them, so I walked away. What did they want from you if they didn't want me writing songs? Or? They wanted a hit record, because they were greedy. Yeah. I never wanted to have a hit record, not a proper, like, a big chart-topping hit record, because it's the short route to complete damnation, you mm. know? Once you, everyone goes, okay, yeah, and then they all get sick of that, and then a lot of people who aren't really into it come and see you play, and they're confused by you because it's not really your thing. Yeah. And, the, you know, it's the, the cracks start to show, and then you're yesterday's news, and you've lost everything. You could be like that boy band, Bross, you know. I mean, like, you know, it was never kind of... I just wanted to do... like. I mean, I'm an artist. I'm not... I'm not a, I'm not like, you know, a, 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 a pop star or a pop musician, a wannabe star. I'm an artist. That's what I do. I, I practice my art one way or another. In a sense, that means sort of starting over every single time. Sometimes it does, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like sometimes you've just got to reinvent. You've yeah. just got to... Well, how can I do this and how can I make this better and how can I... Move it forward, you know. But you, but you don't mind. I mean, you know, if you're if you're playing a show like this, you'll play career-spanning songs, or is no, it? Yeah, I'll play. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not ashamed of anything I've done, you know. And I, I tend to, you know, people sometimes shout for stuff, and sometimes I kind of go, yeah, I could do that, not do it. But most yeah. of the time, I just do what I want. Yeah. And. You know, I'm not kind of completely abnormal. If I think it's okay, chances are other people will think it's yeah. okay. So it kind of works out. They paid money to come out to the show, so they... Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I won't be a complete curmudgeon about it. I read in the New Yorker that I was a crusty old punk, and I've read these things like I'm some sort of curmudgeon, but, I mean, like, not really. I mean, like, I don't know, I just... Uh, I'm quite... I don't know. Cynical is a difficult word. Restless might be. Maybe in 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 ways of sort of wanting to sort of like yeah, yeah move along or something. But yeah. but I'm also you know nicely cynical. I think. I mean, like I've been around long enough. I know what happens. Mm. I can predict a lot of stuff. You know because I've I've seen it. You're a realist. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, but, but you know they call that cynical, yeah. and then cynical becomes this thing that is very close to bitter or something, but or or kind of miserable or fatalistic or something. But 
it's just the kind of honesty, you know. And um, you, and you, but you love it still. Oh yeah, shit. I want to, you won't do this. I mean, look, I've driven three and a half thousand miles in the last ten days. <laughs> um, <laughs> I made some money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a success. Yeah. Yeah, so it's okay, but I mean, like, you you know, I mean, there'd be easier ways of doing that. You could yeah. do some shifts that, you know, if I did a month at Walmart, I might be better off, actually. I mean, because then you, you, the accounting always gets a bit creative, you know, because you, you don't think of wear and tear on the car or wear and tear on you and the time that you'll have to sit down for a while and not do any work. Um, it, it, it helps being married to a musician, though, I imagine, because yeah. they... they <laughs> You know, she she knows what the deal is. Well, you know, I mean, we both do. I mean, like, but I'm pretty good at making money from this business. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I couldn't have survived if I hadn't figured out yeah. the business a little bit. I mean, I'm not a businessman, but I'm not completely dumb about it. <laughs> There you have it. That was uh, was reckless, Eric. Uh, I, I hope that uh, hope that interview turned out reasonably well. Um, we actually uh, did that at a, a restaurant not far from the venue. So so Eric uh, drove down. He he lives in New York State now. He's up in uh, up in uh, Hudson County. Uh, drove down to do a show at the Mercury Lounge and uh, did the sound check. Not not a ton of time before the show, so we we got dinner at a, a diner a couple blocks away. So uh, that interview was actually sort of conducted in between bites of of chili. So I hope. Hope there wasn't hope there wasn't too much chewing on the audio tape, but uh, thanks so much to Eric for taking the time to do that. He was actually there promoting a few re-releases of his material. Um, I'll be honest; before the interview, I was not super familiar with the uh, with the albums that were being re-released. Um, you know, I like probably most people out there uh, was was most familiar with the stuff he had done with with Stiff Records, which you know obviously is uh, really fantastic. But Donovan of Trash a little little bit later. Um, just really, really good. Uh, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. It, it had kind of, it had been out of print for a while. It's, um, you know, it's now it's out there on, on your CDs and your, your vinyl and you can get it on your, your Spotify as well. Uh, really, really just intentionally rough, as, as he mentioned during the interview, you know, the, the drums the drums were actually performed um, just by kind of pounding a piece of cardboard. Uh, just, a, just a really, really awesome record all around. Highly recommended. Um, and, you know, obviously if you're not familiar with the stuff at all, there's, uh, I mean, that's a pretty decent place to start. Uh, there was a Stiff Records compilation that came out uh, a while back that's also a pretty good place to start. Um, not too many bad places to start. His, his new stuff is really great as well. It's a little bit uh, a little bit more pokey. He's he's recording a lot with his wife, uh, the, the also fantastic Amy Rigby. So, there you go. Lots of uh, lots of reckless Eric to, to dive right into. So uh, so thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to uh, thanks to Brian for uh, for editing this thing together as per usual. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like this show, there are other shows over there that you will probably like as well. You can check those out by going to boingboing.net. You can also check them out on iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, why not take the opportunity to rate this here show? Uh, you know we could we could use few stars no no skin off a year back and by a few I, I mean five i will i will absolutely not accept any any fewer than five stars uh so thanks thanks so much to you guys for listening um oh you can also uh you can send us an email it's ryylcast at gmail.com for any feedback follow us on twitter ryylcast excuse me r-i-y-l-cast you know we're, we're 69 episodes in and i, I still 
can't properly enunciate the name of the show. It's rayylcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you'll get the show uh, hours, if not days, before you'll get it over, over at Boing Boing. Um, lots of good shows coming up. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. 